Welcome to Forged in the Fire's podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same love. Welcome to the Forge in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Rob Verhelst, better known as Fireman Rob. You know, I have a very, very special guest today. Most of the Ironman competitors will know this, as well as those people that like to read a very inspiring, motivational books. I have the voice of Ironman, Mike Riley, with me today. Mike, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you are, you are just uh, an epitome of so many people's dreams to hear your voice and to have your voice on my podcast is just amazing. And, you know, I was reading through your book before we got on here and the best part is chapter one and the, how do you say it exactly? Uh, the welcome party in uh, Hawaiian? E como mai, come into my space. E como mai, come into my house. That is the epitome of your book because if you have not read Mike's book, Mike Riley's book is Mike Riley, Finding My Voice. You can find it on MikeRiley.net. It is all of, I don't even know how you chose the stories you did because you have to have so many stories, but you wrote a book about what it is to be an Ironman as well as your experiences. You have 19 hour days at Ironmans, right? Yes, they are. You know, about five in the morning when we're in transition till that coveted midnight hour. It's crazy because you, you see that there's a 17-hour minimum for Ironmans, or maximum, I should say, for Ironmans. But Mike's are two hours ahead of time. And what was <laughs> you said in the book, uh, uh, this is kind of interesting, one of the hardest things that you have to do in your day for announcing at Ironman is what? <laughs> the swim start? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like 50% of the day because, you know, when you, when you start something, whether it's a project at home, whether it's a project at work, whether it's a personal goal, you know, you want to start off on the right foot, you know, and a lot of times when you go for a run, the hardest step to take is that first one. And, and if it doesn't go right, it kind of messes up the rest of the workout or the rest of the project you're on. So I'm very cognizant of that. And I want to make sure that the start of an Ironman, as much as I can, along with, you know, the crew working the race, it goes off smooth and easy and there's not as much stress and because everybody's stressed out anyway and you just try to make everything as relaxed as you can. And if the start goes off on time and it goes smooth and everybody's kind of happy even though they're nervous, the rest of the day will follow. All right. So that's why it's so important. And it was funny that you mentioned that the start goes off fine because I was reading in here that one time in Kona when the start went off a little more interesting than you expected it to. <laughs> you want to elaborate on that story for our people? Yeah, that was probably the scariest moment. It probably rates up there as the scariest moment I've ever had at an Ironman. 
And when uh, they decided to start the race with an air horn as opposed to the cannon, as we always had in the past. And well, the whole thing with the air horn, it's just they wanted to do a warning thing. And so when they did the air horn, everybody took off and it was five minutes before the race was supposed to start. So it's just when NBC's yelling in my ear, we're not ready. And the race director's going, what's going on? How come the race started? How come you started it? And and I actually didn't start it. Somebody else blew the air horn. And But we got them back. We got them back to the start line. And I, I kind of chronicle that in the book of how that happened. And it was just, we were very lucky to that that had happened. But I was able to figure, well, if we stop those front swimmers, you know, the top of the pyramid, the others will be backed up like traffic on a freeway. Those first cars stop, everybody stops. And that's what happened. We got the first three or four lead guys to stop and slow down. And once they did, well, we brought them back. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting way to start a world championships, especially. Yeah, there was some there was some pissed off athletes, and I didn't blame them. I mean, you know, I can only imagine. But we, we calmed them down and got them started. I can only imagine. But you know, in a day for your day, it's nineteen hours. For a lot of people like myself, it's seventeen hours. And then you have some of the pros coming in and nine and under a little bit. It's a long day, and it it's truly a production because you epitomize making every single person feel like it's their race and that nobody else is around. Elaborate more on just how important that is to you. It is their race. It's their day. It's their life. It's their goals. It's their family watching. To me, it's, it's, it's so individualistic that I look at it that way because I know when I catch somebody coming out of the water or when I catch an athlete on the bike, maybe at a hot corner or on the run, it's all about that person. So when I'm able to say their name at the finish line, that's individual. That's them. That's nobody else. They know who the heck it is when I start spitting out that name and where they're from and then calling them an Ironman. So to me, everybody always says, Mike, you're going to have a long day. I always say it's just a, it's a great long day in one's life. And you can't have enough great long days in your life. You just can't. So when Ironman rolls around and, and I have the honor of being able to call people to the finish line, it's a one-on-one conversation I'm having with that person because it's their day and nobody else's. And then the next person comes and it's the same thing for me over and over again. So, and I think I do that because I never, my biggest fear is to get complacent. I don't want to get complacent about anything in my life and, and I know others don't either. So when I'm at a finish line, it doesn't fall into complacency. It falls into watching a hero become someone that they didn't think they could become. When I break it down and I talk about it, it seems very simplistic to me, but yet so grandiose because it's not about doing the race and coming through the finish line for so many. It's about who they become when they finish that Ironman. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. And it's so many different challenges and different obstacles that, you know, sometimes their stories don't get told completely, but you take the time. And I've listened and been at many Ironman events and the research that goes into this, I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of research that you do. I remember hearing about Bob Costas uh, for the Olympics, but for you, this is a lot of stuff in one day. The amount of research that you do is so valuable. How Give everybody an idea of what kind of research you do from all the registrations that come in. That's 2,500 athletes. Yeah, it's, you know, the database is my homework sheet. And 
about two weeks before the race, I'll, I'll, I'll get that and start looking at names. Oh, I recognize that. I've, I know I've called that one an Ironman before. Or I recognize this story. Oh, that's right. She was battling breast cancer, but now she's cancer-free, and here she is doing this race. And, and so I just keep reading and reading and reading. I read the database four or five times. And it's not to memorize it. It's just something clicks with me when I'll see a name come up on race day. I go, oh, there's a story there. I know there is. I don't exactly know what it is. Then I'll look at the computer screen in front of me. I go, that's it. And then I bring it out in more of a personal way. I'm not reading four lines of bio that an athlete wrote, even though that's where I base it off of. I'm talking about that person because I know their mom and dad could be listening, their brother, their spouse, their partner, their kids. So I want to make sure that they hear it as much as anybody. And I can't tell everybody's story because people come in, you know, in droves at times and you get 15 at a time and all oh, you can get the name out. So that's why those names in the call of you are an Iron Man, I give it everything I can because everybody's got an amazing backstory. Sometimes it can't get told just because it can't. And other times when I'm able to tell a story, it's, there's nothing better. There really isn't. It's amazing. And you know, I was, one of the great things that uh, I think that happens at Ironman is that uh, the night before everybody gets together, kind of gets uh, psyched up. And you said in your book, and, and, and I've, I've heard this numerous times, and it still gives me chills every time you say it. You always say, tonight is for you, to inspire you, to entertain you, and to relax you. Sit back and enjoy this show. And on Sunday, I can't say it, but you can say it, Mike. Uh, what do you usually say at the end of that? You will be... <laughs> <laughs> you will be an Iron Man. See, I can't say it. It doesn't. It doesn't carry as much weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Ekomomai in Hawaii, the welcome ceremony at other races. It is it's about the athletes, and you know we've tried to put together some great videos from BCC Dave Downey and his crew, and then bring up some inspirational stories and to let them know, you know, it's Ohana. We're all one family. It is really a closely knit, even though. Iron Man is such a global brand with so many events. It's still a very close-knit family. And when you're standing in front of everybody, and like I, I have the opportunity to do, I want them to know that. That relaxes you. You know, when you walk into your, your aunt and uncle's house for Thanksgiving dinner and you feel at home, you're amongst yours. And I think when the athletes can feel that on a welcome ceremony night or at a meeting or whatever we can do to help them feel that way, it sets them up for a successful race day. Definitely. Definitely. I completely agree. I think, you know, the one thing that I always look at, and you've been with Ironman how many years? How many years have you been announcing? Uh, well, I've been announcing almost, you know, 40-some years. Ironman Kona this year will be my 32nd Kona. Holy cow. That's amazing. And so, you, you, I mean, I can't imagine you have the tally of the number of people that you have called across the line to fulfill their epic dream of becoming an Ironman and, and at the same time having you call them an Ironman. I think, you know, there's so many people that do this race for a reason from a CEO to a breast cancer survivor to a, a fireman to a, a mother of four. What is it that draws people into this experience? Because it's not an easy experience and it takes a lot of training to get there. What do you think is the, the factor that brings people in? I think to cope, to cope with life, to heal, to transform themselves, 
That's actually how I built my book around those types of things. Because the more and more stories I heard of why people were doing triathlon and 70.3 and then Ironman or running marathons or getting into the endurance world was to be able to find a better self. People are not always happy with who they are and they could have mental issues. They could have physical illness issues. They could have a loss of a loved one. And it's life. Iron Man is life. And that's why when you say from CEO to cancer survivor or whomever it may be, that's a cross-section of life. If we're walking down Fifth Avenue in New York and you, you pass, you know, 4,000 people on your eight-block walk, that's the cross-section right there. And some people go, you know what? When I found Iron Man, whether it was someone battling PTSD or whether it was someone who lost a child, they instinctively always say, you know what? This has saved me. This has made me more whole. Sure, I'm still sad and mourning, and, but now I'm moving forward. I'm not standing still or walking backwards. I'm moving forward. So Iron Man has an interesting way of beating you up through training, through mental capacity, through physical on race day, but yet people are healed because of it. Truly, internally healed. I am in a, a testament to that. I, I remember the first race I did in full fire gear in 2011 at Ironman, Wisconsin. And I remember getting to that finish line and it was the journey of the whole day that really culminated at that finish line of that I can heal. I can, I can move forward. I can show through my actions that anything is possible. And you got to call my wife across the finish line at Ironman, Arizona. She got challenged by my middle daughter. And, uh, <laughs> and that finish line for her, she slowed down to make sure that you were going to call her across the line. <laughs> I think she was looking up to see if I was there, if I wasn't in the bathroom, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to go to the bathroom. Nobody thinks that you have to, but you do. But the impact that you create just through those simple words, through the voice, through you being down there, I want you to talk about the last hour of Iron Man. You've been going for 18 hours, 18 hours for the day. Most people work eight hours and they get tired and, or they have to go on you know, social media at the end of their day. You've been working for 18 hours and that last hour of the day, you go crazy. You go down to that finisher shoot and you go nuts. Tell me more about how, how you do that. Well, first off, it's not working. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I just don't, you know, working is sitting in a cube at an office type thing. This isn't work to me. It's, it's a passion. It's something that I want to be able to do for others. And, and when you can help enhance someone else's life a little more than it has been in the past, that's why that last hour or two are very special. People have been out there working for a very long time, and most of them thought they couldn't do it, probably more than they could do it. So many have probably doubted themselves. A lot of the last finishers in the last hour or two were told by someone else they couldn't do it. Could you imagine that? So when I'm, when I, and the reason I want to go down is, you know, get the crowd pumped up and I, I want the crowd just to give the, the athletes all the accolades they deserve and scream and yell and applaud and clap and everything. And, but when I look into the faces of those final winners, as I call them, to put it in, into a few words, it's like, holy, you know what? I did this. Are you kidding me? And that's it. They look at me, Mike. 
I did this. I, yeah. Some of them, I, I see their face. I go, yes, you did. Even without them talking to me. And they, yeah, I did. So I know it's going to, it's changing their lives. And so, yeah, the last hour at the Ironman, and it's just, it's very special. Sometimes I'll go down there even sooner than that. If we find out how many are left out on the course and it is interesting. It's like you're doing your thing all day long and it's, it is a long day. We're working hard. You know, you're calling out names. You're going from one spot on the race to the other, a hot corner. And then you get to the finish line for the final, you know, eight hours or so. And then uh, go hard that last hour. So uh, don't ask me how I am at a half hour after the race finishes, because you talk about, spent, oh you know, I mean, go to bed with the legs throbbing. I put the Normatex on. I got, you know, the Theragun out, man. I'm just working my legs. I go, I think I should do the race. I know I wouldn't feel this bad. I don't think I would. <laughs> it wouldn't be half as bad if you did the race, you know, because they get you catered. I mean, you got to do a lot of work during the day. That's the hardest part. You know, and I'm not, not, I'm not, work, I'm not 38 anymore. I'm not saying I'm over it, but it's uh, the recovery time is a little longer. Even when I do an 80 mile bike ride, I next day I go, why am I hurting here? Well, Jesus, dude, you're not 30 anymore, you know? <laughs> and you've, I mean, the number of hours, that'd be an interesting uh, statistic. The number of hours that you've been on your feet. Oh, God. Because that's got to be crazy. I mean, it's hard enough to like run and, you know, swim, run or swim, bike and run. But you're on your feet the whole day. And so that's not even easy. Yeah, I'm not a, I've never been a sitter and, and you can't project very well when you're on a microphone sitting down. And I very seldom, I mean, if I'm sitting down calling somebody in, it means I'm, changing my shoe or my sock or trying to do something. Why? Well, I'm bringing people in. Uh, Multitasking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've announced with one shoe on and one shoe off. And one time down, Z-Bart goes, Mike, you don't have your right shoe. I can't. It's so busy. I can't get down and get the shoe on. <laughs> I was changing socks or something. Oh, I love it. If we had a camera in the, on the stage. You'd see some stuff like, what is he doing now? Well, he's announcing, so. <laughs> oh, now you're going to get a camera on the stage. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the other part of Ironman, and one of the things is the, you know, the people that don't finish, the people that don't hit the cutoffs. And I think, you know, it's a big part that really translates into this world and translates into business and personal life of an epic disappointment. But yet, for most people, they'll come back because they want to hear your voice. They want to find that finish. What is it that on the grand stage, how do these people find this tenacity to, to come back? Just as they do during their everyday life. We have all not found our finish lines with so many things we've done in our life. Even with conversations with a spouse and you said the wrong thing, they'll go, well, that wasn't too smart. And you just had to learn from it. And you also try to learn from, you know, knowing that you got to the start line of an Ironman. That is a huge win. Not many people can say they got to a start line of an Ironman and they towed the line to go 140.6 miles. So if you didn't finish that day, you didn't come across that line under the allotted time. Okay, that's tough. Sorry to see it happen. Life isn't over. What you learned on the journey to get to that start line, what you learned on the journey, however far you got into the race before you had to drop out or missed a, a time cutoff or anything like that, you learned tremendous things about yourself. So that's a win. And, you know, we've had people, I've had people attempt, one, two, three, what would he do in Montreal? I think it was eight Ironmans before he finally finished one. And, you know, it keeps 
coming back. And I see a lot of people, Mike, this is my number four. I'm going to get it done. I go, yes, you are. Well, if that person never finished an Ironman and starts five or six of them, that person is a huge success in life. That's a great message. Yeah, they didn't get to their finish line. I understand that. We all want to get to a finish line, whether we're doing schoolwork, a project at work, you know, trying to build a family and relationship. We all want to get to those daily finish lines. And when you don't get to an Ironman finish line, for a lot of people, it's devastating. But I'll bet you 99.9% strap on those damn running shoes within a week or two and go, all right, what am I going to do now? I got to get this done. I'll, I'll enter another one. You have a great story in here in your book. By the way, you can get that book at net. Just exactly what you said about Sarah Reinerstein. That is epitome of, I didn't finish and on a grand stage, but yet I'm not going to wait at that point. I'm going to keep going and find that way. It's an amazing story that you can read in this book. Now, Mike, the question is always posed, and I love this part in the book. People always ask you, what is your favorite Ironman event? And you put it very eloquently in here. I've seen so many athletes you know, not finish or not make the bike cut off like Sarah did, as I talk about it in my book, or not make the uh, 17 hour cutoff. And the devastation on their faces and the crying and grabbing their family and friends, it's gut wrenching. It really is. And at that moment, I know those athletes truly believe, oh my God, I'm a huge failure. I failed all this training, uh, everything for naught. But then they realize that. a short time later that they and Sarah realized it at the finish line. When she came back and she was there with her mom after she didn't make the bike cut off, she was hearing me call people an Ironman. That's when she broke down and lost it the worst because that's what she said she wanted to hear. But that's also what she said to herself, damn it, I am going to hear it. And she went back to work and the very next year she finished her unfinished business, as she calls it and came through that finish line. So I've seen hundreds of people not make it, and I've seen hundreds more come back after they didn't and finish it. I love it. And there's so many people that the best part, I think, is that everybody feels like you're their uncle or their dad or their brother, and they feel an attachment to you. They may have never known you before. They have only heard your voice at Ironman, but as soon as they finish an Ironman, they feel attached to you. And it's such a powerful thing. There's, uh, there's people that try to get you to leave their voicemails, right? Oh my goodness. I actually did an audio promotion through the holidays. They could get a 30 second audio from me in a signed book. And oh my gosh, I had no idea I'd be recording two, three days in a row of stuff, but it worked out. Other than the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, I swear. Like I said earlier about the family and sure, they may look at me like their uncle or their brother or their dad or their whatever it may be. And I look at them in the very same way. So when I bring in one of our older competitors, you know, I I don't call them even my book. I said the title of the chapter is Better, Not Older. When I bring the better ones in, and I know they have led a life that maybe they were sedentary. And all of a sudden now they're 69 years old and finishing an Ironman for the very first time in their lives. I love announcing that. When someone comes in, I go, here. You know, comes so-and-so, Barbara, boo-boo, and she's 68 years old. They're doing her first Ironman. And the crowd goes, are you kidding me? And they go nuts. And then I'll kid with the crowd. I go, and what's your excuse? 
and they all laugh and look yeah, at exactly. me. And, you know, I'm looking at a 34-year-old down there, you know. So the athletes challenge each other. They challenge themselves and they challenge each other. And they do it in a action speak louder than word way. They don't look at somebody and go, you need to get in shape. You need to do this. What they do is they go out and they show others by example what they can do. And people follow them. It is an amazing, amazing journey as well as just the support from fellow competitors as well as the support from the Ironman crew, you, the, you know, the, the fans and everything like that. It, it's an amazing event. If, if anybody's listening that has never been to an Ironman, it is one of those things that'll change your life. There's people that go to the finish line at midnight that never thought of doing it and then all of a sudden sign up. <laughs> it's a crazy, uh, intense uh, environment, that's for sure. So Mike, uh, in your book, and I'm, I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, and there's a lot of uh, races that want you to say theirs, but uh, you make a point of saying that you get asked, what is your favorite race to go to? I get asked all the time. And you know, that easy pat answer is Kona, the world championship, you know, in Hawaii. And then I, I have favorite, you know, I don't have favorite races one or the other, but there's races that are near and dear to me, like Lake Placid. This year will be my, you know, I've done it every year since 1999. I've announced the Mont Tablon every year. I've announced Wisconsin every year, you know. So there's races that are near and dear to me. Arizona, you know, I love going over and doing some of the European races. But truly, the most favorite Ironman for me is the one I'm at. I love that. I love that. That's where it's at. How can it not be? I would never ever let that type of attitude invade any of my thinking that, oh, I'm in so-and-so, but you know, I can't wait to get the so-and-so two weeks from now because that's better than this one. No one's better than anybody else when it comes to the events. Everyone is going to hold and make dreams come true right in front of our very eyes. I don't care if we're in Frankfurt and Wisconsin and in St. George or, you know, down in South America. It doesn't make any difference. Dreams are going to come true at that race. And sometimes when I'm at that finish line at the races, uh, I get to be a part of it. Lucky, very lucky guy. Well, Mike, it, it is such an honor to be able to talk to you just to give people an idea of Mike's accolades. And I know Mike loves when I do this, but <laughs> <laughs> you are known as the voice of Ironman worldwide. You're part of the Ironman Hall of Fame. You're part of the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame and the running USA Hall of Fame. Over 400,000 athletes, it says in here, you've called across land. That's amazing. That's a lot of dreams that have come true because of, because of your words and mainly because of your actions. That's a lot, of, a lot of time that you put into people. I always end my podcast the same way. I do have three questions and then we have a rapid round, which is exciting. So everybody kind of gets an idea based off of other people. So I'll give you the first question. Here it is. It's what is one thing that you haven't done, but is outside your comfort zone? Wow. One thing I haven't done, but is outside my comfort zone. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I, I've never really felt anything was outside of my comfort zone. What's outside of my comfort zone? I don't know. You know, would I want to climb Mount Everest? Well, yeah, maybe I would, but is it outside my comfort zone? No. I don't think there's anything outside my comfort zone. If there is, I'm sure. See, I think I'm, you've seen too many races. I'm sure my wife Rose could tell you what that is, but that's for her to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, all right. Here's the next one. 
What's your favorite quote and why? You are the cause of your own experience. I love that. The why is easy because you are. You know, there's things that will come along in our life that we didn't have control over. Somebody rear-ends you in the car and, you know, but if you live by the premise that you're the cause of your own experiences, your life will always run in a positive direction because you take responsibility for who you are, what you did, what you say, and how you performed. It's very simple. So we live by the premise of you are the cause of your own experience. I love that. That's such a good quote. You need to get a Mike Riley shirt with that on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you sweat, it comes out, that, that quote comes out. <laughs> Just saying. The last question here is, now, if you could pick to have coffee with three people, they can be deceased or alive, at a firehouse table. So that means that nothing is off the table when you're talking about things. They have to answer questions. Who would it be and why? Oh, I would like to sit down and talk with uh, Oprah. I think that woman is an amazing person and what she's done for people throughout the world. And uh, being a reader, I love how she promotes, you know, reading and literacy in our schools. So be cool to sit down with her. Who else would I like to sit down with? I think Oprah needs your book too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's never an easy choice. No, it's not an easy choice. I mean, I there was someone the other day I said I'd really like to meet them and I'm now forgetting who who it is, who it was. I think I'd like to sit down with Vin Scully. I don't know if everybody knows who Vin Scully is, but he was the Dodger announcer for 54 years and just retired. And he was one of the most fluent speakers I've ever heard in my life. And he would come up with stuff at the spur of the moment during a nine-inning baseball game that you just can't believe. It would be cool to sit down with him. And uh, who else? I like that. Oprah, Vince Scully. I like to sit down with my dad again who passed away in 1993 and ask him some stuff that I hadn't asked him then because I just wasn't knowledgeable enough to do that and, and see a little more and, and hear a little more about his background because it was a tough one. And, and it's evident to me now why he was kind of a tough guy because of his upbringing, but I didn't know that at the time. So it'd be cool to sit back down with him. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love the answer. That's what it's about. It's about kind of Getting that, getting that information out there. So now here's the rapid round. All I'm going to do is I'm going to say two things. All you got to pick is one of the two things. Okay. Oh, jeez. Uh, this it, is exciting. It, tell me there's no, tell me there's no right or wrong answers here. There's no right or wrong answer. It's not a psychology yeah, I, test. I, I, I'll probably hear some, Riley, you said that. Why'd you say that? You know? <laughs> one of them may, you never know. So there's the first one is, everywhere, so. the first one is paper or plastic? Paper. Soup or salad? Salad. McDonald's or Taco Bell? Neither. <laughs> you know, I've heard that a lot. Camping or hotel? Camping. Fly or drive? Drive. Sleep in or wake up early? Always early. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much your, been your life. Run or walk? Well, you hit me at a... Tough time in my... <laughs> You're going with the walk with me, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right now I'm walking. And, you know, it's not public out there. Why? But 
Right. Uh, the new Probably. hip was seven weeks ago, but what the heck? Put it out there. Yeah, you got to. You, you're trying to compete with me in walking. Uh, yeah, partly sunny or partly cloudy? <laughs> I, I hate partly of anything. Sunny. <laughs> All right, there you go. Fire or water? Water. This is the this is the one. Use a porta potty or continue to drive or run to the next physical bathroom. Porta potty. That's Mike. I live, <laughs> I live in porta potty. I've announced from inside the porta potty. <laughs> now that's what that's one of the stories you should have had in the book. Coke or Pepsi? I, I, I was thinking about that. <laughs> what do you think, Coke or Pepsi? I'm not a sugar water guy. All right. But if I had to choose Coke, Coke, and then go big or go home. Go big. That away. Mike Riley, it's been such a pleasure to have you on here. If if you want to actually have some great reading, some motivation, some inspiration, some more insight into the life of Mike Riley, as well as the stories that he's had, go to MikeRiley.net, get his book. It's Mike Riley, Finding My Voice. It's also on Amazon, right, Mike? Yeah, it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And, and one of the biggest reasons they should is because of page 147, which starts out chapter 10. There's a picture of a guy on there that I threw it in at the last. I threw it in at the last minute and figured, what the heck? I feel sorry for him. So I had to devalue the book. <laughs> <laughs> he served me Thanksgiving dinner one time, so I figured I had to do it. There you go. My kids call you Uncle Mike, and everybody's like, "Who's Uncle Mike?" Oh, the voice of Iron Man. <laughs> oh, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> that, that works. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, Mike, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I am so excited to see you at a next Iron Man event, and uh, definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there waiting for you to call them an Iron Man. Well, keep doing what you're doing. You inspire a lot of people, Rob, and and uh, never give up on that because they are listening to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, people. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.